Father, we claim the promise this morning that you're in charge of all things if we will give them to you. So this morning we give you our time together. We give you our schools, our teachers. Most of all, Father, we want to give you our hearts and our minds. Help us, Father, to understand what you would have us to do with Adventist education. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to do a new presentation uh, this morning. Uh, Adventist education, a church imperative. My question is, is that a declarative sentence, uh, statement, or is that a question? Because in many people's minds, the question mark is there, not an explanation point. And so we're going to talk about some of the issues today. We're going to talk about cost. We're going to talk about enrollment. We're going to talk about some of the issues um, having to do with um, um, commitment. I'm speaking on Sabbath, and I started working in the PowerPoint presentation last night. And yesterday, I, you can still see it a little bit, where I drew um, three bridges. Well, I put that on a PowerPoint slide, and we're going to talk about that Sabbath afternoon on the main auditorium about commitment to Seventh-day Adventist education. So again, some of this is going to be review, but there are some new people here. Who are we? All we did cognitive genesis, which was a the largest research project in the history of the United States on private school academics. Fifty thousand students over four years, and we we did it right. So many people said, and we were above the national average in all subjects, all grades, all sizes of schools, over all the years tested in every union, was above the national average. That's, when you have 50,000 students, that's um, statistically um, relevant. That's a, that's a big deal. When you can say all of those things, we didn't do well, we did well here, but we didn't we did well in every subject. What do you think our highest subject was? No? The, our highest was science. And, and, and the researchers back at Riverside just went nuts. You guys are creationists, and you're the highest in science? You beat everybody else. That's the highest. And many schools, that's down there with math. You know, science is low in many schools. But we, that was our highest subject, which I was really proud of our system, that we could hold our heads up as creationists, but yet we could take the national standardized science test and blow the top off from it. So... Why is science always the highest one in Adventist class? Well, it's... It, we, we did better in this one than others. Um, I don't know. I, I think we spend a lot of time on science. We want to make sure our kids understand science. Um, science is important. I'm a biology, chemistry, physics major, so what would you expect, you know? Um, that's right. It's an inquiry-based program rather than a content-based. When you want to 
When you want to find out why the sky is blue, you can say the sky is blue because, and tell them. And that's what most happens in most classrooms. But we say, the sky is blue. What do you think? Why do you think that is? And then you lead them down the path to discover about wavelengths and colors of light and filtered. You lead them, oh, so you don't think the red light gets through. Oh, well, why? Because the wavelength, because... And, and you lead them down that path to discover why the sky is blue. Um, when I first became a VP at the, at the division, the first, maybe I told this story, I don't know. The first meeting I had with all the union directors, it was in September, and, um, and I started in July, and they sat down on the on the big tables there, all the textbooks, science textbooks, that they had reviewed. Please come in. And they, um, they said, we had a summer committee, we've reviewed all these textbooks, and we've chosen this one. Hooten Mifflin, I think it was. And we're going we're gonna to use Hooten Mifflin science textbooks in grades 1 to 8. And I said, wait a minute. How can I as a Seventh-day Adventist educator, um, put a, a secular, non-Christian, evolutionary-based textbook on every Adventist kitchen table. How can I do that? And I said, we, can't, we just can't do that. I just don't feel like that's something that, that I feel comfortable with. We can't put those kinds of books on the table. And they said, well, we don't have any money. So we went out and raised $6.5 million and, and developed our own distinctly Adventist science textbook series. Um, so I raised $6.5 million. Where do you think I got the first half million dollars from? First half million. This group came to me and said, we, we don't think that we can put um, an evolutionary textbook on our kitchen tables either. And so the Catholic education system gave me the first half million dollars. Because they said, can we use your textbook in our Catholic schools? And I thought about it for about 1.2 seconds. <laughs> and said, of course you can. And right now, today, in a number of dioceses around the country, You'll open the book and it'll talk about Ellen White. It'll talk about creation. It'll talk about biblical principles. Uh, it'll talk about health. We partnered with uh, Florida Hospital Creation Health and we, we wove a health um, thing all the way through the textbook so that health is there. And it's based on Ellen White and the Adventist health principles. There is. There is. Um, I've really struggled with this one. I raised the money, uh, almost a million dollars, and hired editors, and we have been working on it now for about four years. And uh, Tim Standish is our head ed editor uh, from GRI, uh, Geoscience Research. And he is so busy that he hasn't had time to actually get it done. 
So he tried to get some of his, his um, friends uh, from higher ed to each write a chapter. Your specialty is genetics, write a genetic chapter. Your specialty is botany, write a botany chapter. Well, that didn't work either. So we've been struggling. Uh, it's about three quarters done. Um, Yeah, that's right. It's really tough. Um, so we spent seven and a half million, if you go grades one through nine, seven and a half million dollars, which is a pittance in what the public a, a secular textbook would spend. And we have e-textbooks and we have, um, we've partnered with Loma Linda. We're now doing um, virtual reality, um, simulations. Uh, you can go in and simulate the heart. The same things that the medical stu students see at Loma Linda are now available for our high school and elementary students um, in this division. So um, God's been very good and um, seven and a half million dollars is still a lot of money. Oh, it is. Because what happens is our students go on art. Remember, 90% that graduate from art mm -hmm. go off to public school. Mm -hmm. And then they get into um, U Public University mm -hmm. right in the face of about, um, evolution. And they're not armed with any question. And if you look, it gives as much belief. Yeah. To believe evolution no. than it does to believe creation. There are many places where evolution walks. Yeah. And if we could own them, we'd come that Yeah, I 100% I agree. I, um, many of you remember the, the <coughs> debacle we had with one of our universities in evolution and creation. I was personally sued for $10 million on that issue. I believe, I'm a science teacher. Have you used by design science? All right. Is there, if, is, does it present evolution in by design? Very clearly. Um, I took a lot of heat for that because people said, it says in here, and they read one sentence, Darwin said the earth is 10 million years old. And they quote that one sentence, but they don't read past that to say, but we believe. Yeah, and so what we've done, what we've tried to do is present evolution as a theory so they understand it. There's no way we want them to go to high school or go to a public college and say, well, the church has been lying to me all these years because you didn't tell me all these things. You're hiding things. And so we put it right out there. The old science series for the elementary went through and had one of the best uh, listing of assumptions mm -hmm. behind evolutionary thinking behind uh, creationists. Yep. And it was excellent. I haven't followed through to see if the new one because I wasn't yep. working with it. Yep. But it is, we have done our best to make sure that it, that evolutionary theory is presented very clearly uh, multiple times in eight years. That's right. That's right. All right, so uh, we spent half of our time, and that's, we haven't touched what we're talking about. Are, there, are any of the science books available? 
are they using them in all the schools? They are they're voted level one, which is a required textbook. Are they used in Michigan Uh in at least some of the schools are, yes. They're all using them. So, you know, that's a required it's a level one textbook. It means that's level two is suggested, level three is supplementary. So it's a level one textbook, which is a required textbook. Um, so the question we ask, who are we? Academically, we're strong. Our kids say that our teaching is good. Value Genesis. Uh, we ask our students, is your, do you think the teaching you get in your school is excellent, good, mediocre, um, average, poor? And 89% said agree or strongly agree that teaching is good. I am, um, I have been president of NCPSA National Council for Private School Accrediting for the last 10 years, which is a non-Adventist accrediting association. 18 organizations, Baptist, Catholic, Jewish, Islamic, um, Friends, Quaker, uh, Montessori, 18 different groups, Lutheran, Assemblies of God. And um, this is what they say about us. They say, you are the system that we need to emulate. We are the only system in religious system in the country in which 100% of our schools are required to be accredited. You can't be an Adventist school if you're not accredited. And so in our accreditation process is used as the basis of most of the accreditation processes across this country in religious schools that are accredited. They've taken our document, and, and we've been doing this now for 40 or 50 years. We've been accrediting schools. In Vermont, where I was, I had to send our accreditation to the state. And the lady at the state said, this is incredible. I wish all of our public schools had That's this right. kind of a test to see where they're at. That's right. And so we are seen as the leading private school system in the United States. Um, we're the largest system in the world. Do you know that? Ah, very good question. Catholics don't have a system. Catholics are all diocesan-based. And so this diocese, run by this one bishop, he decides what the textbooks are. He decides what the accreditation is. He decides what the curriculum is. He decides who, what teachers they're going to hire. It's all diocesan-based. And this diocese never talks to this diocese, who never talks to this diocese. There are two um, Catholic conferences in North America, the Western Catholic Conference and the Florida Catholic Conference, in which within a state, generally within a state area, uh, those dioceses work together. And one of the jobs that I was given at NCPSA um, some people think this is ecumenical and I shouldn't be doing it, but um, they've asked me to help Catholic dioceses work together and form relationships so that they can accredit their schools and have some standard across all Catholic schools. Um, um, right, right, right. Right. So we're the only 
only private school group in North America that has teacher certification. They say, our standards say, uh, and NCPSA, that you have to have qualified teachers. That's the, that's the standard? What does qualified mean? That's right. And so many of these systems have um, people that have a lot of knowledge in science. Maybe they, they have spent their whole life studying science as an amateur, but they don't have a college degree. Uh, they've never had any classes in education, but yet they're teaching. 30% of our schools, um, I'm sorry, 30% um, of our children are in Adventist education. Is that a good number or a bad number? That's twice the number of any other religious system in this country. I just spoke, it's been a year now, to 5,000 Catholic educators, and my, my topic was how can we get 30% of our Catholic children in Catholic education? Because we only have like 12% or 13%. And we want 30% like you. We want to be like the Adventists. That's what they're saying. See, I believe, and people can disagree. I'm happy to uh, meet you out behind the school if you disagree. Why do we have Adventist? Some of you have heard this. Some of you are new. I'm going to say it again. Why do we have Adventist education? We spent 25 million, I'm going to go through it quickly, $25 million in Adventist education from the North American Division. That's what pays the subsidies back to the conferences. Do we do it so we have the best academics? Is that cognitive genesis? Is that why we do it? Are academics important? Do we do it so that we have a safe environment for our kids? Is that why we do it? Well, safe environment's important, but that's not why we spend $25 million. Do we do it so that our kids know Jesus Christ is their personal Savior? Is that why we do it? Yeah, so that's not why we do it. Because if that if if you say we're going to we're going to spend twenty five million so our kids know Jesus, we could send them to a Baptist school and they know Jesus, but they come out the other end a Baptist. My assertion, my my position is that the re only reason we have to right we have to exist is so that our children have strong academics and a safe environment where they know Jesus Christ is their personal Savior in the context of the Adventist Church. And you can't leave that piece off. You can't leave that piece off. Because if you do, then send them to a Baptist school and save $25 million in the church. The largest piece of our budget at the North American Division. So when I spoke to those 5,000 Catholic educators, I told them the same thing. The only right they have to exist is to make sure that the Catholic identity is instilled in their children. That's the only reason they have to exist, right? Do they want their kids to know Jesus? Of course they do. Do they have a perspective that they want to continue Catholic ideals in their children? I'd rather a child be Catholic and know Jesus than be agnostic and not know Jesus. Now, that's a strong statement, but that's what I believe. Because then we have an opportunity for that child to understand what truth is, right? 
If they're an agnostic, it's going to be much harder to get through that, that wall to that student. Um, I did an interview yesterday on, on strong, strong Tower Radio. I told a story um, a number of years ago when I was president of NCPSA. Uh, Arnie Duncan was the secretary of education uh, in the um, Clinton White House. I, um, my wife just went on the front porch. I have a ring, so I know when she leaves the house. Arnie Duncan invited Sister Mary and I, and we were good friends. She ran the Catholic education system in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, and I was VP for uh, education at the division. And Arnie called us into his office, and he said, I know you guys really well. We were... I'd been in his office a dozen times if I'd been there once. And he said, we've decided in the Department of Education that we want the Catholics and the Adventists to run all of the public schools in 13 of the largest cities in the United States. We're going to give you our schools. We'll give you the buildings. We'll give you... How much do you charge for um, an elementary student in your system? And we said three, four thousand dollars. She says, I'll double that. I'll give you twice as much. Sister Mary looked at me and she winked. And she said, Okay, we'll take it. And he said, That was that was too easy. What's the catch? And I said, We will take every public school in in these thirteen cities and run them with your funding if you allow us to run them as Adventists in Catholic schools um, and not as public schools. And he said, oh, no, no, you can't, you can't mix public and private. You have to run them as public schools, but you run them. Um, and I said, you need to understand that our teachers are not smarter than public school teachers. There are many wonderful, committed, brilliant public school teachers. We're not better than they are. Um, and Sister Mary said, you need to understand that we have something to offer that you can't offer. And that's values education, and that's character development, and that's spiritual development. And unless you let us teach those in these schools, then our teachers are not going to do any better than your teachers. And we walked out just a couple minutes later out of the office. Dismissed. Um, I went to visit my friend in Washington, D.C., and she had a daughter. My daughter, she was right ahead of my daughter. And um, the, she was in the fourth grade, my girl was in the third grade. And she was going over um, capitals for each of the states, uh, mm -hmm. capital cities, and she was, you know, struggling. So she'd say, North Dakota. And my daughter said, and she'd give the answer, you know. And so finally, my friend said, my word, that school do you go to? And um, so I told her we needed to, we, at that time I was in Ohio, and um, she's third grade. How much do you pay for tuition? Thirty-three hundred a year. She was sending her to the cathedral school where they were spending twenty-five thousand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have many of our parents 
that have decided that um, $3,300 a year isn't enough. You couldn't have good quality education at $3,300 a year. And so they send their kid down the road. I can tell you story after story after story about people that came in and they said, what's the tuition? We said $3,300. Well, that, that's not enough. There's no way you can have quality education. Snatched the check back, walked down the street, and spent, and spent, you know, yeah, thirteen or fourteen thousand dollars for the same, and felt now that they're getting a better education because they're paying more for it. Uh, they were Adventist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and many times those non-Adventists are much more dedicated to making sure their kids. Um, I believe that, I coined a phrase a number of years ago when I was here in Michigan, that we ought to accept mission-appropriate children. That all mission-appropriate children ought to be accepted into our school. The difference, you know, the, and so I, I lived with that for many years. Mission-appropriate children ought to, live, ought to go to our schools. So, what does that mean? So I was principal at Tacoma Academy and just two miles outside of the District of Columbia. Very rural, 450 kids. There'd be a shooting at Blair High School. Um, this is back in the 90s. There'd be a shooting at the school. And I'd have 50 parents line up outside the... They'd line all the way down the sidewalk um, to enroll their kids at Tacoma Academy. We were known as the safe school. That was, the, that was what we were known as, as the safe school. So these parents would line up 50 deep. And I had a rule that nobody could be admitted to school until they had a, uh, an appointment with a principal. That was just my rule. And so I would invite them into the office and I'd say, why do you want your kids here? Oh, it's safe and this and, you know. Um, I like the uniforms and um, it looks like you guys are in control and I see your kids are calm in the hallways and it's I was here when they were changing classes and it was just friendly banter and, and we want my kids to go to school here. So I'd turn to to Betsy and say, Betsy, why do you want to come to school here? Blankety blank, I don't want to go to this blankety blank 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 school. And I said, Oh you'll make a perfect student here. <laughs> was she mission appropriate? Can the parents make her be mission appropriate? No. I submit that there are Adventist children that are not mission appropriate. That there are Adventist children that are not mission appropriate to an Adventist school. Now, that's really tough. But I believe that. I had a, when I was at Pisgah, I had a, a mother come in, um, I can picture her right now, screaming at me and pounding at my desk and just screaming and screaming and wouldn't stop yelling. Finally, I said, are you finished? And she went through another tirade. I said, are you finished? And she says, yes. I said, your daughter is no longer a student in this school. She is expelled as of this minute. What? I said, she's a wonderful kid. And I really 
want her here, but your behavior in the last hour has shown me that you cannot be supportive of the school, and unless I have your support, then she cannot be successful. She's expelled from school. This was in Asheville, North Carolina. She came back an hour later with two representatives of the NAACP and thought it was a racial issue. And she came into my office with these two um, gentlemen, and she started in again. Same thing. At the end, I saw you finished, and she said, she continued, and I saw you finished, and she finally said yes, and I said, why did I tell you that your daughter was kicked out of school? And she said, because of me. And I says, and you have, explained, you have demonstrated that behavior again. It's not because you're black. It's not because she's a bad kid. She hasn't done anything wrong, but I need your support. And the two gentlemen said, thank you very much. Went out in the parking lot, and I could see them through my window with their finger in her face. Mission appropriateness. Kids have to, but what's the catch in that? What's the catch in that theory? You have to know what your mission is, right? You have to know what your mission is. You have to have a mission that is definable to the point where you can decide this person fits and this person doesn't fit. And too many times we don't have a clear mission stated in our Adventist schools. We have this, this general thing, um, but we really don't have a mission that's clear enough to distinguish between who should be there and who should not be there. So that's the chink in that armor. All right, we've done three slides so far. We have a holistic education. We've talked about this in the past. Uh, North American Division, um, their... Turn that off. Um, their mission statement is to share with the North American Division the uh, Christ-centered hope and wholeness um, for eternity or something like that. And hope and wholeness, that's what we, that's what we want to share with our world. Our world is, is just dying for hope. Our world wants hope. And we have the ability in the Adventist educational system and in our churches to do that. We asked our students, we gave them a list, and I showed you the list yesterday, of all of like 25 different things that help kids build their faith. They build their faith through... Um, their parents, their grandparents, summer camp, uh, Bible classes, weeks of prayer, 81% said that the thing that helped them build their faith the most was Seventh-day Adventist education. Because it was a 180-day evangelistic series, and they hear it every single day, in every single class, from a hundred different angles. They hear Jesus loves you no matter what, and that you are worth um, more than anything else to Jesus. And you are His child. You are His son or His daughter. And they hear that over and over again. We have uh, membership growth in the Adventist church that grows every single year. We're up to almost one point, over 1.3 million members in the North American Division. 
And that number goes up every year. Is that a good thing? That's a great thing. So let's look at what goes on with enrollment in the North American Division. So we peaked in 1976. We had our highest enrollment ever. We had a huge run-up from the 40s to the 70s, and then we began to, um, and we have really gone down every year since then. Now you'll notice in the last few years that we have gained 745 students. Uh, you can see there's a little bit of an uptick there um, from the, that line to just above that line. So we're going up in enrollment. Why do you think we're going up in enrollment? Three factors. Doug? All right. Um, we have many of our schools that are 100% non-Adventist. Most of our, many of our schools, I would say most, are in that 50% range um, of our students are non-Adventist in our schools. But what's happened, particularly in our academies, but also in our um, upper elementary is we're going and recruiting overseas international students more and more and more. Uh, I have a school that they had 50 students and they were about to close the school and so they invited 50 Brazilians to come the next year. So they're going to have 50 students from their conference and 50 Brazilians. Do you think that would change the culture on their campus? Do you think they'd have the best soccer team in the county? Probably. <laughs> 1976, couple today it's less than one it's just less than one um, I've had some of those 0.9 students in my school um, um, so one reason is in, more international students another reason is um, that we are that we added pre-k that's kind of an artificial add-on there. But the last reason that, that I want to spend just a second on is that more and more schools are accepting vouchers and state money. Um, there's a school not far from a conference within this union that the school used to have one, one school with 30-some students. They now have three campuses in that city. All of it is voucher money. Um, New Brunswick. New Brunswick, they used to have 32 schools in New Brunswick uh, in eastern Canada. They all were funded by the government. They had a new prime minister come in. That prime minister said, we need to spend more money on public education, cut all the funding to uh, private schools. This was in 1997, I believe. 
How many schools in New Brunswick do you think we have today? Zero. We have not had any since the year 2000. We have gone 18 years with zero schools in New Brunswick. They closed every single school because the parents weren't used to paying tuition. And now they said, we're not going to pay tuition when we can get it free. We used to get it free, and we want it free again. Zero schools. Yeah. Can you also say that because we're a church home and school, in a new school, the churches are invested in what happens in the schools. Sometimes they put money in the schools. That's right. Schools become dependent upon the government for that money. Would it not be fair to say that there could be a potential disconnect in the, not just financial support, but. That's right. That's right. It, it's no longer a three-legged stool. It's three legs and a pedestal. You know, the pedestal is federal or state money. Um, that's a really hard question for us in Adventist education to answer because homeschoolers, by definition, want to stay away from the system. They don't want, they don't want to tell us who they are. Um, we think there's about 100,000 homeschoolers in North America in the Adventist church, but that's an estimate on our part. Um, I believe that homeschool is the number one, that's where we ought to be helping our kids to learn, is in homeschools. That's the number, Ellen White says it. Uh, I believe that's true, but many of our families cannot do that. They're single parents, they're two working parents, the next best alternative is Adventist education, if they cannot homeschool. So, I'm just seeing more of a trend with how expensive school is getting for yep. parents. Yeah. Yeah. Even even high school level. Yeah. I'm hoping to get to the finances here in a few minutes. If we were to continue, so l let me finish on the on the voucher program. Uh, we have one state that requires. Uh, if you take voucher money, you're not, you cannot require your students to go to any religious programming. They can opt out of Bible class. They can opt out of chapel. They can opt out of worship uh, in the morning. When you open, the, uh, open a, a devotional book and start reading, they can get up and walk out. And there's not a thing you can do about it. But yet our conferences are still taking that money. Not... not it's not happened yet, but because it's not happened doesn't mean that we should then buy into it and say, yeah, they're not doing it. Because once one student does that and the rest of the students see, then even some of our good kids will say, eh, I, I don't want that. Do all of our kids want to go to Bible class? Our kids? No. And so we're going to get our own kids. They're going to get up and walk out. Um, a Bible class. No, it's, it's anybody that's on, but we have some of our kids on vouchers. Um, another conference, uh, they were taking almost $6,000 a student from the government. They were getting all their textbooks free. That did not include by design. They were using state uh, textbooks and this, the new department, Ministry of Education in that uh, area, said, you're now required to have gay-straight alliances on campus. Yeah. 
and you're required to teach, uh, they call it alternate lifestyles from second grade on. Yeah. And you're required to teach alternate lifestyles to my two mommies, my two daddies um, from second grade on. And the conference said, okay, sign the document, put it on their website, and said, this is what we believe. It wasn't Michigan. Um, my point is that once you get hooked in, and that, that conference had been taking federal money for 20 years, and to back out of that was almost impossible. They felt it was impossible. So they signed the document. Um, that's right. It did affect their accreditation. And so I went, uh, I took an officer from the division, and we went up and brought our, and we brought the general conference, uh, Karnik Demetsian, who is the uh, head of the general conference um, lawyers, the attorneys, OGC, and, uh, and we said, either you fix this, not only will you lose your accreditation, but you'll lose all the funding from us. You will no longer be at Adventist school. You will not be at, we will not get, give you any subsidy. Um, you cannot use the Adventist name um, because that's not who we are. And you cannot, and I use the word, and they're still mad at me over it, you cannot prostitute yourself. That's the word I used in order to get money. Um, I'm not getting any Christmas cards from that superintendent. That superintendent, three months later, lost her job, which, because she was openly supporting um, doing that. All right, if you were to take this line, and if it were continued on this slope, we would have lost 13,000 students. We've gained 745 for the three, mostly for the three reasons I shared with you. Um, so that's the overall enrollment. If you look at this chart, um, the blue line here is 0405, the red line is 56, this line is 67, this line is 78, right down the to the dark black line here, which is 1213. What do you notice? Two things you should notice about, um, as a mathematician, about that, that chart. All right, slope, rise over run. So that means that here we kept adding students every year, right? Mm -hmm. So there were more fourth graders, I mean, more fifth graders than there were fourth graders. There were more 6th graders than 5th graders, right? So the slope, if you were to take and, and put a, a trend line on there, the slope would be going up. What do you see about the slope of this line? It's pretty flat, isn't it? One of the things it tells me is that 
we're keeping the kids that we got in the first grade. We keep them all the way through. We have These are the dedicated, um, committed parents that are going to keep their kids in our schools. And so it's a flat line um, all the way across. But you also notice how many students were in this approximately? 5,200. How many students here? We lost 1,000 students. That the gross numbers have gone down every single year, right? So not only has the slope changed, but the overall numbers have changed. So that's K through 8. Let's look at what happens when you add grades 9 to 12 to this chart. So what are the reasons? Cost, sports, music. Well, I mean, we have, so, we'll, the next slide talks about the number of schools, but I'm going to jump ahead and talk about that a little bit. When I, we lost 245 schools, if I remember, in the years I was vice president, in 18 years. We lost 245. That's a net number. That's adding and subtracting. That's the net loss in those 18 years. Most of those are what? Small schools, rural schools. You have Ionia. I'm, I'm just picking somebody. Um, Onaway. You have, you have one family with three kids that move out of the church and you close the school, right? Um, you have one family that gets upset with a teacher and pulls their kids and puts them in public school and you close the school. That's happening across the division. 70% of our schools are one, two, and three teacher schools. And so it doesn't take a lot for the economics to change in that fragile environment. So we've lost 245 schools. When I became VP, we had 96 academies. We've lost 245 net schools in that time. How many academies do you think we have today? Give me some numbers. How many? 25. 25. Somebody sat through my thing before. We have 117. We have more academies today than we had, but we've lost Broadview. We've lost Garden State. We've lost Mount Vernon. We've lost Adelphian. We've lost, you know, I can go down the list. Enterprise, Platte Valley. Um, you can go down the list and talk, and they're all boarding schools. But we've opened more and more day schools. And so um, part of the issue here, I can explain part of it, because if you go from this point, this is 8th grade to ninth grade, do some of those kids have the opportunity, other than sending their 15-year-old boy 300 miles away, do they have an opportunity for ninth grade? They don't. That's right. So they drop out of our schools, go to a Christian school or go to a public school. And so I can explain some of this, right? I can explain some of it between the, ninth, between the 10th grade and the 11th grade. They have a junior academy, so they keep them in the junior academy. But once they get past the junior academy, they have no... Um, no other opportunities other than a boarding school 
and many of our parents aren't choosing boarding education. And so, and by opening day schools, are we affecting boarding schools? Dallin, are we affecting boarding schools when we open day schools? Sometimes. I had, a, I had an issue, I did this in Idaho last week, the same series, and somebody said, well, you know, we opened an academy in Twin Falls that really hurt the academy. The academy principal was sitting there, and I said, how many students before Twin Falls opened were you getting out of Twin Falls? He said, one. Yeah. That's right. And so if I can keep 25 to 50 kids in a day school in Grand Rapids or in Battle Creek, and they will graduate and stay in Adventist education because it's local, those kids probably wouldn't have come to the academy anyhow. You know, you don't get many Battle Creek kids up here. You don't get, you used to get some from Grand Rapids, but not a huge number when I was in the conference. And so those kids, they weren't going to the academy. They were going to local public schools. And so what we're doing is we're trying to pull the kids out of the public school and keep them local. Yes, it has an effect on the boarding schools, but it's probably not as precipitous as many people think. Number of schools that we've lost, 246, 18 years. Um, and we've talked about that. Yeah. Hasn't the age demographic of the church also risen over time? That is an absolutely fantastic question. <laughs> fantastic question. So this is the yellow. So let's take this group right here, 20 to 24. This is the percentage of that age group in the population. All right. The blue line is the U.S. Census. The reddish line is the Canadian Census. And the yellow line are Adventists. So Adventists have uh, 5% of the population is 25 to 34 here. And uh, in this one, they have, you know, 13%. All right. So you see how the chart works? What age group do we get our, our childbearing, do we get our kids from? We get them in this, in this age group right here, right? Because the 44, they could still have kids in academy. Uh, so this is the age group we get. What do you notice about the yellow line compared to the other two lines? Much smaller, right? We have a smaller percentage of those age groups than the normal U.S. and uh, Canadian um, population. What do you notice from this point north? Yeah, I mean, look at this. You know, 65 to 74, we double them. So we don't have the percentage of parents that are age-bearing in our, in our population. Currently, or has that always been a trend? Like, um, you know, you graduate from the academy and you graduate from the church, and then you come back when you have kids. 
over the course of time, is there that kind of rhythm that they disappear? Yeah, there is. There is. Um, you'll notice us um, right here, we're about even. Um, if there was a huge piece of that, then we would see in that 50-year-old um, range, we would see a number, a lot more Adventists. Um, we're a graying church. More and more people look like me. That's just the way it is. Yeah, it's like 52, yeah. So that's, it gets worse than that. 39% of our parents in the North American Division, Adventist parents, 39% make less than $25,000 household income. That's right. 30% make twenty-five to 50000 That makes it 69% make less than $50,000 a year. So here's the tuition. They're making 40% are making less than twenty-five, but we're charging $6,000, $7,000, $17,000, for one kid. Of course, a lot more sometimes. Um, now those are the raw numbers. That's the average tuition charged. Um, by those by those groups, there are two lines. Is the cost of Adventist education ever going to go down? Not unless you cut the salaries of the teachers or take away their benefits or um, et cetera, et cetera. The cost is always going to go up. There's another line. I call it the value line. And if the value line crosses, this is the value. This is the cost. If the value line crosses the cost line where the value is less than the cost, Economics 101 says there's no sales. From that point to the right, there's no sales, right? You're not going to pay more for something you value less. Our job in the church is to make sure that we continue to keep this value line um, above the cost line. That's our job. That's a pastor's job. That's the principal's job. That's everybody's job, is to make sure that that value line stays above the cost line. Then you have sales. Then you have a value proposition that it's worth it. I, I, can, I can say in my mind that this, this differential is worth what I pay because I value it highly. That's part of the problem in Adventist education is somebody in, in, a pre, in, a, in a session yesterday really said we ought to call this perceived value. Perceived value. Because the value is... Yeah, the value is there, but it's the perceived value that we have to um, help increase. All right. We got, what, an hour left? Twenty-six percent of our families have school-aged children in the home. Twenty-six percent. So that means that we're getting the thirty percent out of the twenty-six percent. 
That makes that number look a little better to me. No. Uh, we have many schools um, in this conference and other conferences that tuition is free. Um, can be free. All right, that's probably a better way of saying it. Or highly subsidized at the very least, right? Three-way matching. You still have three-way matching? So a three-way matching program. Um, so that it reduces the cost of tuition based on, on need. When I was principal at Pisgah, we decided one year that we were going to lower tuition. And by lowering tuition, we get more kids. And if more kids are paying a lower tuition, we'd get the same amount net tuition, but we'd be serving more kids. Does that make sense? No. Not unless you have to hire, that's right. We had sweet spots of about, you know, 240 kids. And if we could stay in that sweet spot, we would not have to, we had empty seats. And so we'd rather have a lower tuition, more kids sitting in the seats and serving more children, more families, and still have the, the money to, what happened is our enrollment stayed exactly the same. Um, not in a boarding, we were already, close your ears, we were already running a bus to Forest Lake, we were running a bus to Collegedale, and we were running a bus um, to uh, Georgia Cumberland and picking up kids to bring them to Pisgah. Every home leave, which made us very popular. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, and so we lost money on that proposition. We had to raise tuition. And then when you raise tuition, we'd lowered it, you know, 10%. Now you have to raise it 15% to get back to where you would have been. And we had a major... So 1976 was the highest percentage. What I'm wondering is, back in the 70s or 60s, did the more families have school-aged children? Was that percentage for sure? Yes. It was. There were that this percentage here was higher. I don't know what it was, but it was higher than this. You know, my family had five kids. How many families today do you know that have five kids? Not many. Not many. Unless you're Mormon. The Mormon church, they say if you have one, two, three, four, I think it's five children. You're a faithful Mormon. If you have a sixth child, you no longer have to pay tithe. Because you've done your part to help the church grow. So if you have six children, you no longer have to pay tithe. I suggested one time that we at our colleges... I suggested one time at our colleges that we have co-ed dorms to raise the uh, enrollment in the elementary schools, but that didn't go very far. <laughs> All right. Um, real quick, I have a lot of people say we ought to cut evangelism funds so that we can have more money for Adventist education. Is he? 
you know, is Adventist education evangelism? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It is. But evangelism is first generational. The best way to get a second and third generation is Adventist education. We've got to have both. We've got to bring the people in, evangelize them into the church, and then take care of their kids through Adventist education, and we'll have that second and third generation. But if you cut out the, if you know, we're seeing 25 million in that in from the North American Division on Adventist education, only 13 million on evangelism. So you can't cut um, evangelism funds in order to have more money for. Has there been any discussion of flattening out the rates? The problem is one of the problems I see is get a family setting their budget around the let's say for argument's sake, the twenty five hundred to forty five hundred range. Mm-hmm. And they're making it. And then suddenly you throw them into that ten thousand dollar plus range and they no longer believe or they may be able to do it, they may not believe that they can do it. Yeah. So my argument is for should we not be raising the price at the younger years yeah we've talked about that we have one school that just opened in i won't tell you where but um uh, the the buccaneers play there um won't say where it is um but they just opened a brand new school, $36 million school, and they're charging $22,000 for elementary and $25,000 for academy. Um, and and they, they have a waiting list to get in. Um, most of them are non-Adventist uh, or work for the hospital system and get subsidy from the hospital system to put their kids um, in the school. Um, Moving ahead, um, let me let me make my last speech. I make it every time. I'm going to not disappoint you. Um, I'm a fisherman. I love to fish, but I made a decision a number of years ago not to fish in swimming pools. Why not? There's nothing there to catch. I believe the best way to save our system. The best way to save our church, spirituality is caught, not taught. Spirituality is caught. It's got to be infectious. I, I want to have what you have, and I will do anything. My value proposition to get what you have is so high that I'll pay any amount of money to get what you have. That's how we're going to save our system if every teacher and every preacher has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If every preacher and every teacher has something that exudes from them that people, that they're infectious for Jesus, that being just around them, they catch it. You don't have to teach it. Teach, you, you know, spirituality is caught. Religiosity is taught. And too many times we've taught religiosity and not not caught spirituality. Um, I'm happy to answer questions afterwards, but 
Um, many of you have other places to be. Let's bow our heads forward to prayer. Thank you, Father, that you love us enough that you want us to be your children. I believe, Father, that your plan of salvation, that the whole theme of the Bible is based around reestablishing the heavenly family with us as your children and you as our Father and Jesus as our elder brother. Help us, Father, that we in the system may have something to catch and may that something be Jesus Christ in His name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.